welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. And this morning, our scripture comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Thank you. So this morning, I want to tell a story again, and I'd like to bring the message that relates quite a bit to this piece of scripture, which seems simple, yet is quite a bit difficult for all of us to at least employ in our lives. And the title of the message today is also simple. Don't be a Pharisee. Simple message, which probably could be told without 20 minutes of me standing here talking to you, but... It can be conveyed by these soul four words. Don't be a Pharisee. The scripture we read speaks to this point with much more finesse, but ultimately comes to the same point. Love God while not being a jerk to anybody else. So I'm going to tell a story today about a man who is hardly remembered by his name, but whose legacy still impacts us all today. And although he is long gone, his memory that he left behind is certainly intense, and it bears a moral implication that is still applicable today, and it teaches us a similar message to what is told in the Gospel of Matthew. So, how many of you have heard of Clarence Saunders? First service people, of course. (laughs) I doubt many of the others of you have, and if the name does in fact sound familiar, it's most likely because of the empire that he helped build, but... As the story goes, Clarence Saunders is told to have come from very humble beginnings, but much of his life is clouded in mystery because throughout his time on earth, he was known very much for concocting outlandish tales, stretching the truth oftentimes to the point of breaking in an effort to draw attention to himself and to his products. But the general consensus is that he was born in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, in a log cabin to a former Confederate soldier who served under Stonewall Jackson. And his parents had struggled very much after the war financially, and at the age of 10, they moved their whole family. Sorry, Clarence was at the age of 10. His parents moved the family to a place called Montgomery County, Tennessee, where his father worked on a plantation to earn a living. And so within a year, Clarence, now an 11-year-old boy, had spent much of his time as a hard worker, and he gained quite the reputation as such. So he spent a lot of his time on the plantation. He also worked for the local sawmill, and he spent quite a bit of time at a limestone kiln, so jack of all trades. And on the weekends and holidays, he spent his time managing a general store. Now, as you can imagine, child labor laws are nothing like they used to be in the 1800s, but at the age of 14, Clarence had only received two years of formal education, and he decided that that was enough. So he dropped out of school entirely so that he could work full-time 
on managing this grocery, sorry, general store. So by the age of 19, he had quite a bit of success in the business world, and he moved on his own to work for a wholesale grocery business. And he did this for the better part of his 20s. Now, 100 years ago, groceries were very much different than they are today. Oftentimes, a customer would walk into what they called a full-service grocery store. They would see the grocer standing behind a counter, and they would hand him a list of food that they wanted. The grocer then would take it on himself to go through and pick out everything, whether it was maybe a questionable produce, something that was about to expire, not the best cut of meat. It was always the grocer's choice. He'd go through his shop and decide what was picked for the customer, who then would often pay it back over time on credit. And depending on how small this town was or how close you were to your grocer, you might even have the grocer deliver it to you. So customers rarely cared about brand names at this point in time, and there were hardly any highly processed packaged foods like we have today. And Clarence was not a huge fan of that business model. So early in life, he set out to change the way that groceries were bought and sold. So by his late 20s and into his early 30s, he had gone from working as a grocery wholesaler to working for actual local grocery stores. Now, we talk about loving God and loving your neighbor, being nice, being pleasant. Clarence was not known so much for this attitude, and he would ruffle feathers when he would go to new businesses. So these people had long-time ties with their community. They had had these grocery stores for decades, and he would walk in and explain to the owners how they could do things better. And these people would think, who the heck do you think you are trying to tell me how to run my business? He was often brash and abrasive, and he would just walk in, stroll in, tell people how to do things differently, rearrange your shelves, put things in these displays to make it more appealing to the consumer. People didn't like that. But those who did listen to him would generally stand to make substantial money from his tactics. Soon, the local business owners took notice, and although he was not necessarily the most pleasant person to deal with, Clarence did have a knack for earning people a lot of money. And so soon, he went from working at the grocery store to becoming a partial owner in most of the local grocery shops. He amassed quite a bit of equity in Memphis grocery stores. So he had made a lot of money. By the time he was 35, he decided to employ his idea. He was ready to change the way that groceries were bought and sold. So he developed a revolutionary concept of placing all of the grocery store items in a large open storehouse. He would chock it full of thousands of products. He'd line it with great variety that had never been seen before in a grocery store. And ultimately, he would give the shopper the choice to pick out what they wanted. Gone were the days of being given questionable meat or nearly expired produce. And in was the revolution of selecting your own goods. So in 1919, he selected a building in downtown Memphis and he built a maze with a turnstile entrance so that the customer would have to walk a pathway to ensure that none of the aisles remained unwalked. And he laced the shelves with all of these unnecessary items and variations on these items so that the customer would perceive this robust variety of options and improve their perception of the shopping experience. The customer picked their own food, 
And at the time, this had never happened before, the products had their own price labeled on every single good. This, in fact, was something that he had patented later on in life. So he placed a checkout counter at the end, full with cashiers, adding machines and cash registers. All of this was revolutionary concepts. And he decided to call his store the Piggly Wiggly. So to give you a sense of what kind of person Clarence was, when he, asked, when he was asked, why did you name it the Piggly Wiggly? He said, well, the name came out of chaos in direct contact with an individual's mind. Doesn't really make sense. Mostly when people ask, he'd say, well, <laughs> I named it that so people would ask that very question. Do you guys know the old Spice commercials? Have you seen these? They're outlandish. They're crazy. They have people growing two heads, popping out of walls. This was the 1920s, 1930s version of Old Spice commercials. So he was a wild character. <laughs> he named his business a wild name so that people would talk about it. In fact, he was so wild that when he opened his third store, he named it Piggly Wiggly III because he felt that it was owed a certain amount of royal dignity. It was a guerrilla marketing campaign, and he certainly succeeded at it. He also disrupted the way that people did business and how grocery stores were operated. And as a result, there were countless small-time grocery stores that closed their doors. A lot of people were laid off, and there was widespread fear of losing jobs to automation and workplace efficiency, something that we know nothing about today, right? So by 1921, he opened up 615 of these Piggly Wiggly stores in 200 cities. He was operating in 40 states, and he was incredibly successful to the point that he took it to the New York Stock Exchange and sold the public option of his company. Uh, 50,000 shares equivalent today's dollars of 30 million bucks that he made out of this. And uh, in 1923, several years later, he had almost doubled the number of stores to 1,200. They were both corporate-owned stores as well as franchisees. So, as anybody would do in this situation, at the height of his success, he decided to fulfill his lifelong dream which was to join a country club with a, <laughs> with a golf course, of all things. So the people who were in charge of deciding memberships for the country club, although they were impressed with his riches, they didn't care much for his attitude because he was rude. He was perceived as a jerk by all of the business people. So he was offended, very incensed for being turned down for the country club. And in retaliation, he purchased 155 acres of land to build a mansion with luxury features like an indoor swimming pool, an indoor shooting range, and oh yeah, an 18-hole golf course because there's no real need for it other than to stick it to the people who wronged him. Now, early on, there were indications that Saunders was a bully, that he could be cruel to his employees. He shortchanged his partners. He was always obsessed with growth. He wanted to see the Piggly Wiggly succeed, make it as large as possible, take over the world, is what he said. In fact, even when the Piggly Wiggly was just a Memphis phenomenon, he would put these windows in the store that said, sorry, these signs in the window that would say Piggly Wiggly all over the world. He was obsessed with himself. So he had a tendency, as you can tell, to take everything that happened in business and his personal life personally, 
And as it turns out, some of the franchises that he had done business with didn't fare so well, and they began losing money. And of course, since it was publicly traded, there were people on Wall Street who decided that it might be a good idea to short the stock. And essentially, all of that means is to take a gamble with your money and your investments in a way that you are betting that the Piggly Wiggly is going to decrease in value over time. Well, Clarence would have nothing to do with this because he was taking it personally. He'd been told by many advisors, many financial experts, that he should just lay low, quit caring what happened at Wall Street, just do good business. But instead, it did not matter because he had a personal vendetta that he wanted to satisfy. So he went to friends and asked for money. He took all of his own money. He went to several different banks, oftentimes without telling banks that he had been to other banks, and he took out as many loans and as much debt as he possibly could with $10 million in loans, which in today's money is close to $170 million of debt so that he could take on Wall Street. So with a close group of friends, he went in secret to corner the market. And what that means is basically he bought up all of the shares of the Piggly Wiggly so that when it came time for these investors who were betting on the price to fall, when it came time for them to buy it at a lower price, instead they would have to buy it from him. He would be able to set the price. He would be able to really stick it to those investors. People were going to lose a lot of money, and it made him giddy. So he set out to ensure that the price of the stock, which started at $30 a share, would increase to well over $150 a share. Now, as it turns out, the people who were on Wall Street did not take kindly to this, and as many of his expert advisor friends had told him, the people on Wall Street who play by the rules also get to decide the rules. They get to interpret the rules. So all of the investors who were about to lose a lot of money, a collective fortune, probably the GDP of a small island nation, decided that they were going to step in and get regulators to shut down this deal, intervene. And as a result, Clarence lost all of it, all of his wealth. So much wealth that he lost the mansion that had not even been completed, builded, and he ended up not ever getting to stay a night in this dream home that he had purchased. I don't know if he ever got to play golf, though. I guess that's an unanswered question. So this is where we start to see a lot of negatives on Clarence Saunders. So as he's losing control of his business, he's angry, he's vitriolic and hateful to all of these people. But he did write about this time in his life quite beautifully. And there's a quote where he writes that, they have it all, everything I've built, the greatest stores of their kind in the world but they didn't get the man that was father to the idea. They have the body of Piggly Wiggly, but they didn't get the soul. How much do you have to believe in yourself to say, I'm the soul of this company? Although, now that I consider some of the <laughs> CEOs of today, I guess people probably do still think that way. But he lost his fortune. He's going to rise from the ashes like a phoenix. And the next concept that he came up with was very similar to the grocery stores that we see today. So there's still aisles with people picking their own food, but now we have staffed counters, a staffed deli department, a butcher. We would have the bakery, all of these different departments. 
And he decided to name the stores Saunders, because of course he does. And the people who owned the Piggly Wiggly said, no, 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 you cannot name it after yourself because that's a direct competitor to Piggly Wiggly. And when people think your name, they think Piggly Wiggly. It's just going to violate all of the agreements. Now, being the level-headed sound guy that Clarence was, he decided to, and this is not a joke, this is what he named his store in response to people suing him. Clarence Saunders, sole owner of My Name Grocery Stores. He one-upped his own snarkiness. This is literally something that went out into the world of business. It's not like he just did this in private to stick it to people. He named his business this. And as is the case with a lot of people who behave in self-centered, self-seeking, rude ways, he did lose the respect of quite a few people. Now, there were some who hailed him as a hero. He's the titan that took on Wall Street, but all of that adulation did not turn into or translate into financial success for him. So by the time he died, Clarence was flat broke. Now, as is the case with many stories, this is not necessarily what happens to every jerk or every person that's a Pharisee, but sometimes jerks succeed in life, an unfortunate truth. This is just a cautionary tale that tells you sometimes being a Pharisee can catch up with you. And as we know, Jesus never promised that life was going to be fair, that things would always work out for those that do great. Rather, when Jesus is asked what the most important commandment is, he reiterates a point that was made earlier in Scripture, to love God and to love others. And this can be boiled down into another more salient point. Love God while not being a jerk. Or perhaps love God and don't be a jerk to anyone, God, others, or even yourself. And it's not to say that acting in this way is going to stay with you for the rest of your life. We are forgiven. We've been given the grace and the forgiveness through him. And this is something to remember. So when you're going through the grocery store, checking out, bear in mind that although I'm sure someone has taken 40 items to the 15 or less counter, that you can still love God and love others. Thank you. We thank you for joining us today. And it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.